Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of Anecdotal Experts. My name is Phil Lebeck, and I'm with Cam Johnson, and we're super happy to give you a chance to, to hear our voices for the very first time. This has been uh, a long time in the making, an idea that uh, finally has us sitting with microphones in our hand, which adds a little bit of pressure, but uh, is pretty exciting at the same time. So, so when, we th- when we say anecdotal experts, what are we talking about? Well, yeah, experts is a, uh, it's a, big, a big word, and we don't want to take ourselves too seriously, so we'll put that out there right in the first minute of this podcast. But uh, we do have enough experience. We've done a lot of reading, talked to a lot of people, and, uh, and learned from a lot of people. And uh, those stories, and I think that's where the anecdotal comes from, is their stories, their uh, things that we've read, lessons learned, conversations we've had, more so than um, a, a bunch of academic time doing research. I've really only started to love to read maybe in the last three, four years. Before, I thought reading was, was tedious, and now I can't get enough of it. And maybe that's where the idea, you and I both agree that reading, and certainly some of our favorite authors, have helped us become the teachers and the parents and the coaches that we are. And the more you read from all these great minds and people who have forgotten more than we're going to know, the more you read, you start to see overlap. And it's, that overlap is actually exciting, the synthesis of ideas and how it melds into your own ideas and uh, confirms your own bias, like we talk all the time. But uh, all these things are pretty exciting. And I think that's what uh, sort, of, sort of generates the ideas of, uh, of why we're doing this. Uh, Philippe et Cameron uh, sont tous les deux très très bilingues et, et pour nos écouteurs qui disent est-ce qu'il va y avoir, est-ce que c'est un épisode bilingue, on va vous dire clairement que non, c'est pas ça l'idée. On veut parler à tous les enseignants, tous les parents, tous les entraîneurs. Ça ne nous empêche pas d'un jour de faire une épisode en français ou quelques épisodes en français, mais on va essayer de garder une langue dans chacune des épisodes. So why are we doing this? Um and we mentioned it already, and we have the technology to do it. It really enables us to be able to, to put something like this uh, together. So uh, all we need is, is right here. It's right in front of us. Yeah, no more excuses. And, and then there's the pandemic pause. I mean, certainly there's been some issues with the pandemic and COVID-19, but one of the positive things in some way is that it gave us more time. Um, more time for prep, more time for relationships. And we're doing a whole lot less coaching. We're sad about it, but we're not doing as much coaching or, or directing or, or, or one-on-one meetings. We, we, we can't. We're not allowed to. So in some way, this pandemic pause has given us more time to do something. And I think it gives you the time to, you have a list of the to-do list, and uh, it feels good to, to check things off that list and uh and and part of this too is it's a huge risk-taking thing we tell our students and, and coaches and our, our athletes all the time to take risks and uh, this is it's a risk for us um once you once you write an idea and put it out there or once you uh, record an idea and put it out there that that great idea that was in your own head now uh, is out there and uh, people can agree disagree um but you you s- and and engage with you um and we're not saying that we're right, but we hope that uh, we have some of, the, some of our learning and some of our message can be helpful to others. Now, we have a lot of experience here. I guess I've got 18 months left in, in a fruitful career. And, and when you're talking about seeking a response, we certainly will love to have some comments regarding on what we're saying. We're not here saying that we're always right. No, we're here looking for an answer and giving you some hints of what we think. And if, you're not, if you don't agree, 
please do not be afraid of suggesting or mentioning us. We'd love to hear from you. Lastly, I guess, being that I'm close to retirement, there is a legacy idea to this that, uh, you know, what we've learned over the years, well, maybe it's time to share it with everyone else. Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. So, so when we talk about what we want to do, what our main principles are, well, what do you think, Ken? I think that, well, first of all, the word principles is important to understand, and uh, a principle is something that's not going not gonna to shift, that's not going to change from day to day. It's going to withstand different influences, and I think um, we, we spent some time talking about what a principle is and, and what we want them to be for this show, and I think that one of the, the ones uh, that's really important for us is the idea of emerging ideas and shared understanding and, uh, and the construction of of new knowledge and, and depth to what we thought we already knew. We, we both are big believers in a growth mindset. And I say it's constant, never-ending improvement. I mean, as a teacher, I, I, I do believe that I, I hate doing the same things twice. And the whole idea of this brain once changed never regains its original dimension is important for both of us. Yeah, absolutely. I think that learning and mastery and anybody who's, who's taught has kids worked with athletes or just felt it themselves when you learn something and when you get better at something uh, it gives it gives meaning to what you're doing it gives meaning to you as a person and it and it's motivating i first started teaching in uh, in st james my career started in st james for for a year and, and i remember one of their main mottos was teaching is learning and it's so important that we, teaching is not just talking to kids. It's that idea of teaching is learning. What do you think of that? Uh, oh, it's for sure. There's no, there's no question. And teaching is learning, and, and l- learning is a very human thing to do. It's a very, um, you know, it's, it's people that we're, we're working with. And uh, I remember the first day uh, in the faculty of education, 20 years ago or so, um, and the, the first prof that I had at the University of Winnipeg had kind of prefaced the whole course, the whole idea, and it was intro to teaching, and he just said that make sure that people before purpose is uh, ultimately what should be at the foundation uh, of all the courses you're going to take and, and the work that you're going to do uh, in the service of others. Relationships. Teaching is relationships in some way, too. So, so l- let's, let's talk about this, what we call the experiential arc. You know, I've got some 30, I don't even know the number I have, but I'm going to say 35 years of teaching. You're up to? 20 this 20. year. <laughs> wow. You know, and, and in, in our school, we have teachers who are just starting. We have teachers that are quite in the middle. I'm, I'm not even sure. What do you think? Is our, is our staff generally older or younger? Uh, I think you're the oldest. That's not what I was asking. <laughs> oh, that's not what you're asking. Uh, no, I think yeah, we do have a we do have a. I, I don't know. I, I think we have a youngish staff, um, and they're definitely young at heart in terms of what they want to, what they want to do, the ideas, the energy they bring. So I, yeah, I think I think we do have a a young staff. So how do, how does how does that make any sense? That as a school with our reputation earned or not, with teachers that are generally younger. How does their experience come into being? Being being a teacher, I think you start off with this this ideal, right? Like um, the the Cam Johnson of uh, an eighteen year old Cam Johnson sitting in that class at the U of W and hearing 
people before a purpose and thinking, yep, that's, I'm going to set out to do that. And having that as a, a guiding idea, a little bit utopic maybe. Well, it is utopic. And, and then you come in and all of a sudden you, you get interviewed and, and you sound good because you have this incredible mentality. And then your principal tells you, oh, well, thank you for being hired. Uh, you start next Monday and here are the classes you're teaching. How do you make that blend? I, I, and that's the first step. The, the first step I th- is survival. I think if we're going to take a look at the idea of uh, teaching and the pathway and the, the experiential arc, the journey of a teacher. I mean, you can, you can Google. I did today. You, you can Google what a career pathway for a teacher is. And it'll tell you um, even just the images are like a ladder. And it'll talk about being a teacher candidate, then being a teacher maybe going to administration, superintendent. It gives you a very much a, a hierarchy, I guess, of, of moving up. But it doesn't talk about how you're going to feel as you move on from course to course or from year to year at all. And I don't think that was taught in, in any of my university courses, even when I was learning this arc, this journey that you're on. So, so what are we saying? What are the four steps? First, first step, survival stage. And uh, then comes? Second stage would be uh, where content drives your practice. And then maybe we get to sort of a, a, a style stage. Yeah, third, st- third stage being a style stage where, where more process, where the, the content is the vehicle for, for how to learn. And, and lastly, I guess you get to this mentorship or impact stage, if you'd like, uh, that we'll talk about soon. Well, that's interesting. So, let, so let's start with the survival stage. I mean, what does that say? I think in that, or not I think, I th- having experienced it, we've all gone, gone through that. You have your intention. You have what the kind of teacher that you want to be. You are the person that you are. Um, but at the end of the day, you, I think you walk away basically just trying to do your best every day. Keep your head above water. There's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of moving parts uh, that happen in this, ev- to every day, whether you're in a first-year teaching experience or whether you're 25 years in. There's a lot, move, a lot of moving parts. And I clearly remember those days when, you know, if I was like one or, or two steps in front of my students, I, I was stressing. It, it was very anxious or anxiety-making. But the whole idea is I probably knew that I was the right place if I was just one or two steps ahead of them. Yeah. There's, a, there's an interesting um, concept, uh, theory, in re- I mean, research out there of communities of practice. It's been around for a long time through education and business. Uh, people in sport have picked it up and have, and have used it uh, to explain different phenomena there too. And when we're talking about the pathway and the journey of a teacher, there, I think there's two, two ways of looking at it. There's the content, there's the teaching the kids part, um, being up in front of the class for the first time. And it really, when you think about it, it's, it's the first time that you've done this public speaking engagement on day one. And then you're going to do it in period two and three and four and five of just the first day. And then you repeat the next day and you don't know how it's going to land with your audience. So there's a lot of unknown. But that's just the job of teaching. You also have the whole experience of coming into a new school and and really not belonging there yet into the culture of the school, the identity of the school. Like, you're not really part of the team yet. So, you know, to get back to this communities of practice, uh, the idea with that is that it's, it's you're, you're in a shared, uh, a shared group of people that are working towards a, a similar goal, and they're learning from each other, and they're collaborating. And uh, a model that I like is actually one that was taken from that communities of practice, 
uh, and take it into sport to explain how teams develop and how rookies come in and then interact uh, all the way to becoming a veteran. And I see a lot of parallels between this, these first stages uh, where, you know, in a sport type of uh, world, you come in and you really have no access. You're an outsider. And then with time and experience and being involved in things, you slowly make your way. If you can imagine some concentric circles, three or four concentric circles heading to the middle. It's the same kind of thing as a, as a first-year teacher. You're, you're coming into this building and you, you don't, you don't really belong yet. You don't have the shared understanding. You don't have the little inside scoop on things, the little cultural elements that make you belong. It's interesting because maybe that's one of the reasons why our school division is, is not intent, but who, who, who strive to, to hire former students from the school division because maybe they do have an idea they're going well wait this kid was from the school from the school division it might have a better idea what it means to fit in as part of that culture that you were mentioning uh, a little earlier it could very well be it's an interesting thing at this this particular school i don't really have a great concept in other schools and other buildings if um, you know the degree to which former students are working in their building at, at jean sauvé here we have i want to say some somewhere like between 10 and 15 former students and uh, yeah you, you know you're right it, you, you come in and you already got a little bit of the lay of the land so it definitely helps that cultural part of things because as a teacher in your first year when you walk in um, you know you figure you have an idea the night before probably of your lesson and you're figuring or trying to figure out do I have enough for 75 minutes or is it at 50 I'm gonna <laughs> not, not be able to fill up the time and then what happens what do I do or what do these kids decide to just get up and leave which in the end really doesn't happen but you know if any listeners out there are in their first years and days of teaching and, and thinking those things and you're about perfectly where you should be I think during this uh, COVID time and this at you know distance learning I mean even the older more mature teachers have felt that kind of idea of going wait I, I used I'm used to having these people in front of me who will let's call it comply uh, to what I'm looking for but also I'm on the computer and, and different experience. I might have felt some sort of anxiety when it comes to teaching online, and we've heard a lot about it. You know, maybe that first-year teacher has an advantage. He doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah, Ignor ignorance is bliss, I guess, right? <laughs> it's bliss. Yeah. Well, hey, we've made it so far. We've gone through our first step of survival stage. We'll take a, we'll take a small little break, and we'll be right back with the Welcome back, everyone. Uh, we're so happy that you're still around. We ended up our first half of the episode by talking about the survival stage in our experiential arc. You know, that, that necessary evil of those first years, that first time you're teaching something. That feeling of being the very best teacher, but just not acting like one. Uh, unless, Cam, you were. Absolutely not. No, no, me neither. So we've gone through this survival stage. And as Cam said earlier, before you thrive, you need to survive. And once you've survived, we reach the point of the content stage. Yeah, that's right. And, and now you're no longer worrying about how to answer the email, uh, communicate with a parent, do your supervision duty, as well as get your 
your classes in order. You have an you, you got an idea of the routine. You pro you've developed a routine, and you also have an idea of of how things are going to go in your class. You, you've taught a lesson, and you've you've had a reaction from students, good, bad, or otherwise. You've probably made some adjustments, and you probably as well in that survival stage are using someone else's stuff at least in some form or fashion someone else's worksheet or something out of a book and uh, that served you well in your first time around I don't know if it's one or two or three times that where you that you spent in survival mode I don't know how many do you think would I, that's a really good question you know we talk about this magic three and, and three years to get a good course going or three times that you've taught it and I, I think that would vary upon you know, who you are as a person and how do you feel comfortable. And, and again, how much risk are you prepared to take? And when you're in survival mode, the last thing you want to do is take a risk. You're trying to play it as safe as you can. Just to keep your head above water. But eventually, and I think if you're learning and you're open to learning and you want to get better, um, and, you're, and you're open to the idea that you're, this isn't the way it's done in your first your first go around or second or third like we're saying this is not the way you don't have the answer you might have a very uh, good way of doing things and lots of potential but it means you're not there yet so when that stage when you can get past that stage and now you're you have your worksheets or you have your ideas you've understand a little bit more about why you're doing things and you love your course content. Hopefully, you've landed in a classroom where you're you have the opportunity to teach in a subject matter that you that you love. And if that's the case, that's, that's awesome. Be ready to not necessarily be in that situation. But once you are there, you're enjoying the course. You can start thinking about uh, not just what you're teaching, but how you're doing it too. You you can take that worksheet and you can put your own spin on it. You can start to be creative in what you're doing with the students as well. Right. We'll certainly talk about that in future episodes about the idea of, of, of the what, you know, and the how. And, and maybe another question would be the why at some point of why am I doing this? And it's an important question. We want to have relationships with kids. We want to have an impact and a meaningful impact with students. You better ask yourself the question, why am I teaching this? Why am I evaluating? Because you know darn well that they're asking that question. Why am I doing this? Yeah, and that's and that's again is the teaching student teaching uh, component and aspect to it. If I come back to that communities of practice idea and the culture idea, you're also now um, you spend some time in the classroom and in the building. So if we if we reconnect to that idea of concentric circles, you start as a peripheral participant in the language of of some studies that are out there. And you're making your way towards the middle, if you can imagine, like a dartboard or, or a target or something like that. And you're moving towards the center. As you move towards that center, you're also getting a better lay of the land. And you have access to the inner workings of the school. And by access, I mean you've, you've just been around people. So you start to hear some of the jokes. And you, you get to learn some of the history of the building that you're in and the people that you're working with. And... Uh, because as well, you you have the the content, you have your activities, your lessons. Uh, you also have found some minutes in your day and some some time, and that will give you more confidence in what you're doing. And the other interesting piece to that model is that as you move towards the middle of the circle, you start to uh, have more influence as well on that culture and the identities. Probably not happening in, in at the end of year one or by Christmas or anything like that, but with time you start to just take on more responsibility and be more in the school 
uh, and that people before purpose really starts to, I think, take more hold of your day-to-day and what you're doing. You, you talk about circles, and I visualize uh, Seth Godin's linchpin model where it's, it's a box. Mm-hmm. And as you gain experience, as you get into the content stage and, and, and later into the style stage, you sort of become this linchpin living out on the edges of this prison that has become bigger that you're able to go, like, I don't want to play it safe. I don't have to necessarily play it safe. I can take some risks and be on that fringe, on the edges of that box, giving myself a bigger box to play with as a teacher and my students. We're, we're bordering on a, another whole podcast and we start talking about the prison, but it's, it is really, a, I think, a defining part of this stage. Uh, and and we'll, we'll talk at another time of the prison or a comfort zone, what's a better metaphor to use. Um, but it is definitely a, a critical part of this. Because if you are spending time on the edge of that prison or comfort zone, uh, you're learning and you're growing. And I, again, mastery and learning feels good. And it, and it, uh, you know, it, it increases your ability to influence in your class and your practice and what you're doing. And so I've survived. I, I, I've gained some content. I have different worksheets. I've got my own worksheets now. I feel so much better. So we get to the third level of what we like to say in this experiential journey where we talk about style. Uh, and that becomes a, a, a why question. Why am I teaching? You know, and, and what do I want to leave behind with these kids at every day? What, what do you think about style of teaching? Well, I think that it, uh, it will probably be marked as well with a, a mindset around uh, what you're focusing on. So, um, you know, are you focusing on your teaching or are you focusing on learning? And it, it, it's a bit of a nuance there for sure. But as we focus on teaching, that's a lot about the teacher. It's a lot about us and how I'm going to organize my class and the lesson and how I'm going to organize, um, uh, how I'm going to get my content to my students, how I'll assess them, all, all of that teacher stuff. I think as you shift... Because you're, you're confident now, you're, you're embedded in that community of practice, which means that you're learning from others, you're working towards the same goal, um, you're collaborating. I think part of that discussion shifts away from how am I going to teach this to what are my learners, what are my students, what do they need, what do I, how, would they, how do I make them learners, how do I make them think critically, which... You say those things and you want to definitely impart those things. It's not a mystery when you're in your first year teaching. But you don't have the space. You don't have the the time to be able to really do it all. And you're thinking at this time, you know, let's say this is in your fifth, sixth, tenth year of teaching, maybe, that you're getting to the style stage. And you might be asked to take a leadership role in the school. And that's when you got to make a decision of what you'd want to be. And, and, and obviously you're thinking about the future, but you're also thinking about your experience of what I've added to this place. And now I have a voice, and I should have a voice. That's the why are you into teaching, the style of what you're doing, which you couldn't think of my first year. There's no, I, no way that I was thinking, oh, wait, here's my first course. I can't wait to change the way these guys think. No, now you can. In, in their sixth year, seventh year, the style stage, you might be talking about that. It reminds me of a, of a quote in theater that I like to use. People will not remember what you said, but they'll certainly remember how you said it or how you made them feel. And this is certainly the time where how you make your students feel becomes very important. 
and it, it may it just jog my memory, made me think of uh, when we talk about the, the art or the science of teaching or coaching or what, whatever you're talking about. In this case, we're talking about teaching. So the art versus the science of it. You know, there's, there's the being able to provide content. There is uh, the ability to, to be organized, to have all that kind of stuff, which is important. And, and don't get me wrong, I don't want to say that that stuff shouldn't exist, not, not by any stretch. Um, but it, it is also, um, you know, it's a time where delivery counts, the pauses, the wait time for a question, uh, how you greet a student uh, as they come into your class, the, I see the questions you have up on your door, all that stuff. It's the affect with an A, the affect to your room and to your practice of what you're doing that just gets students on board, just brings them in and engagement uh, becomes becomes the goal dare i say that this is the point where teaching may become fun or 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 is fun you are having fun at your job and it's no longer this day to day no it's now a career and i enjoy what i'm doing i think so this is also where we will confirm our bias because we're 20 and 20 30 (laughs) years into careers um but it when you again, like it's such a human thing that we're doing. It's such a uh, such a people interacting that when you when you you use the content for as the vehicle to do this stuff. Uh, so whether you whether it's you know social studies or math or science, whatever your content is, um, if when that kid walks out of your class, they, they've learned what they're supposed to learn for the test, but they they got a smile on their face or they find something outside of class and come back to you and say, hey, Monsieur. Uh, I found this, and we were talking about this yesterday. That's fun. Yeah, that was a cool moment for sure. Uh, it reminds me of, a, of an interview question that I had in my first few years. I haven't done many interviews, but I'd read that somewhere. So, and again, it was one of those definitely style or even a mentorship that I was trying to use when I was my third, fourth year of teaching, where, where the, the school, the principal asked me, so, uh, Mr. Rebecca, uh, what do you teach? And he was expecting me to teach, you know, to say social studies and, and French theater. And I went, well, I'm sorry. I, I don't teach what. I teach who. I teach students. Because, you know, social studies and French don't need any kind of teaching. They can do it by themselves. And I guess it was such a shock. Maybe that's why I got the job initially. <laughs> but I, I teach students. And that relationship. I said that when I was my fourth year teaching, having no clue what it meant. Because clearly <laughs> when right. I got the class, it was like, okay, it's not about who you are. I don't care. I have geography to I teach here. I am now surviving. Uh, <laughs> now surviving. But I remember that moment going, oh, I'm going to sound like one of those intellectual teachers mm-hmm. saying that, you know, you can trust me. I'm very mature for my age. And I'm going, what the hell does that mean? Today, I do realize what it means. You know, I and don't have, teach course. I we teach have these, these moments, and we, we talked about it before, of where uh, like things overlap and you hear or see the same message from different points. And uh, I, I hadn't thought of this at all in, in sort of jotting down ideas and prepping for this recording. But as, you, as you're telling your story there, it makes me think of a story of a, uh, a man, uh, Carl Ritt is his name, and he uh, was a professor, well, he was a lot of things. <laughs> uh, he was a world-class basketball player and he was an extremely popular professor at the University of Winnipeg. Um, quite a long time ago. I think he's passed, uh, passed on since, since then. But uh, really interesting man. To give you an idea, I, I can't confirm this, but I've been told that as a 
professor in his classes, he would walk in and he would ask a student to open their book. And the student would open and say, well, what are, you, what are you reading? What's on the page? And they would tell him. And he's like, okay, let's start there. And, and the way he would go with his class. Now, I'm not suggesting that's the way to go. But uh, I met him as, a, as an athlete at the University of Winnipeg. And he used to jog on the track. And he was quite a, an older guy at that, that time. But he had a cadence to his voice that it was just so calm. Uh, and he, uh, he would come down the stairs. So I remember being my f- first match in the U of W, stretching after the tournament. And I saw this, this really tall, lanky guy, big W for U of Winnipeg on his sweater, come down on the floor, and he's walking towards me. And I can see the other guys, the, the veterans on the team, and my coach, Larry, he's, they're all smiling as he's walking towards me. I don't know what's going on. I'm 18. I have no idea. <laughs> and he comes, and he, and he really like calm, welcomes me to the U of W, part of the family, shakes my hand and sort of walks away. And I've seen him a, num- saw him a number of times after that, always really, really great. And um, Larry later, uh, the coach, uh, Larry McKay, was telling me a story about one of his first days on the job as the coach at the U of W. And uh, he was saying how he was tasked with writing for a newsletter or something like that and was asked, you know, what, uh, what's, your team, what's your team about and what are they going to do this year? And he he said he went on to uh, explain, you know, where they were going to finish in the conference and how they were, where they were going to win and their chances at the championship, and kind of in that vein. So he came to work one day, got his departmental mail, and in it was a was the was the newsletter, and across the top was just splashed a, a sentence that was handwritten that said, "What about the joy?" And he didn't know what, the, what this was about until he met up with Carl Ridd later. And he said, oh, okay, he says, well, Larry, you told me all about how good your team was going to be, and you told me about the stats. Said, but I don't, I don't know what your team is at all. I have no idea about your team. How are they going to find the joy in what they're doing? And uh, Larry, that stuck with him and guided him a lot, and he shared it with me, and, and it's, it sure has stuck with me too. And that's when we get to our last stage, I guess. I guess a gentleman like Carl Ridd was an older gentleman. I can imagine seeing him, and I see him with his big old, old University of Winnipeg jersey. But then that's when you get these mentors, and, and, and luckily we have these people around who have a lot of experience, who've obviously forgotten about the anxiety stage, the, the oh, wait, what am I going to teach every day to how I'm going to teach it every day. It's that mentorship, that last part of your career. I'm not sure if that's the last part, but I mean, once we get to a mentorship role, we can have that lasting impact on so many people. I mean, are you there yet? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but I, I do think, and, and that's the difference too from being in an administrative role to being in the class is you have much, much different interactions with, with students. You don't, you don't get the day-to-day. You're not working towards that same goal day-to-day, trying to get them past that hump of feeling incompetent right before they learn something you know that critical stage where they got to feel like I can't do this and so that that's lacking a little bit but I think that the, lit, the litmus test is still the look on their faces uh, more so than the mark on the test uh, you know and that's 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 not really not my words we had a, a teacher colleague here at Jean Sauvet, Zian Plamondon who talked a lot about this pathway, this experiential arc of, of a teacher. And she, she told me a lot of this stuff that we're talking about today um, right at the end of my student teaching block. Um, and that was one of the things that she described is um, it's, it's a look on the face of the students and the interaction. It's not something that you're going to be able to uh, quantify necessarily. 
a lot of teachers have a tough time sharing their, their, their material. Wait, this is my worksheet. Especially when you're younger, this is my worksheet. You, you can't take it. And I remember uh, my baseball mentor who used to talk to me about going, why are you afraid to share your drills? Well, because they're mine. That's what makes me successful. And he literally said, no, your drills have nothing. Did you make them up? I went, no, I just found them. He says, yeah. So can anybody find them? Your, your relationship base, the way you teach it, the why you teach it has now become super important. So as a mentor playing a mentorship role, the importance of you sharing that material and making it available as a legacy, they might change it and they might not like it. Who cares? At least you gave them the chance of looking at something. And they might not do it as well than you could in the first time. It's, it's, like, it's like coaching. You know, I, I know volleyball, and, 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 but obviously you can start way before, way after me, your practice sessions, and clearly you will have a better team than I will. Same thing with Mr. Phil Hudson from Dakota, right? He goes, well, yeah, I can start any time I like. I know I'll have a successful team because I know how to get them there. I think when we're, and when we're teaching, coaching, parenting, whatever, when we're in our, the realm where we're, we're comfortable and we're confident in what we're doing, we're, like we're, we're beyond survival. We're beyond content at that point. Like that's, it's so, we have such a grasp on it by that stage that I don't even think we realize that as we're communicating, as we're coaching or teaching or speaking to our athletes, our kids or whatever, we're giving all these other messages at the same time in our body language, in the way we smile, in the way we, we interact with, with certain students or kids differently than others. You know, like I, I really felt that as a coach was once I started coaching more than one way to the team, but coach to, I don't know if I had to coach 15 ways to 15 guys on the team, but I probably had to coach seven or eight different ways. Once you start getting that, uh, you you're delivering a different message. So that's the content like you're talking about. The drill is just anybody can set it up. Um, but your delivery of it and how you, you communicate why you're doing it. You hear about it all the time uh, about uh, successful coaches and teachers who are master communicators. And I think that's a, a really big key. And a second one, and you, you touched on it, is the humility part of things. Being able to say, this is, I'm sharing it. We hear all the time about, you know, coaches and teachers, we steal each other's ideas. And we say it tongue-in-cheek, and I, no, one, no one really, well, no, I wouldn't say no one cares about it. But I don't know if we're stealing. I think, I think if you're, a tr- you're truly teacher, a teacher and you're at, you find yourself in this last stage, I think you want to hand it over. You want to see what others can do and how, how they can make it even better. We can talk about it later in an episode, but, you know, competition, does it have any place in a, t- in a classroom? Do I want to be the favorite teacher? Do I want to be their friend? I mean, those are huge, important questions that I often ask myself going, oh, wait, no, I'm not your friend, I, but I'm not your, your professor. I'm not here just giving you information. The relationships are important. Relationships become friendly. And that's when that game is played of going, wait, popularity in the classroom. I, I hate that word, and I hate that concept to no doubt. And we're all as good as we should be and want to be. You know, it, it brings me up. When we get to mentorship, at some point, this is like the very cheesy part when we're talking about it, but I see this, this quote all the time on billboards saying, you know, to teach is to touch lives forever and it's a mathematical two plus two equals four it's so cheesy but yet (laughs) so true it is 
It is. And I, I have a quote. We like our quotes. And one that I've seen often, uh, a teacher affects eternity. He or she can never tell where his influence stops. Hmm. And I think that's... See, that's why you're more of an expert. Because, I mean, <laughs> your quote just doesn't hit my level of cheesiness. You know, yours made me cry. Mine just makes me squirm. But we're equally anecdotal. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, we want to thank everyone who uh, who listened to our first ever episode. I hope it was enlightening in some way. Uh, we invite you to our second episode, which will be on content squared. The idea of going, are our students contentful or simply full of content? That'll be an in, that'll be an interesting one, and I and I'm, it's exciting to see how this story will continue through the episodes from episode to episode so you got a quote for this one well i think i think i do we'll have to find we'll have to find one well I don't come on one if, I, if i can't count on you who the heck can i'm we not count saying on? i won't all get right, one all right, I'm all right. Just saying goodbye that everyone it's between him we'll figure it out soon enough take care everyone have a good week thank you